Okay, we continue to air all our grievances, and we'll maybe have some more positive content today as well. The Frogs get ready for Iowa State. Big game this week. I said it yesterday. These next two games decide the TCU season. That's what we call a first-take type of tease. It's coming up next here on Locked On Horn Frogs. You are Locked On Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. That's right, Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every day. I'm Stephen Simcox. Next to me is Matt Jennings, at Matt A. Jennings on Twitter. He is a freelance writer. He covers TCU football. We have him on every week talking frogs. Uh, please subscribe to the YouTube channel. You can also subscribe wherever you get podcasts and it's audio form. Matt, TCU loses on Saturday. They are now 3-2. and two. They're 1-1 one in one conference play. Um, and I spent a lot of yesterday's show talking about Chandler Morris because I was – I guess I shouldn't be surprised. This is usually where people go when things go badly or well. Um, but there was a lot of comments about Chandler Morris uh, after Saturday's game. You know, not people saying he's not playing well. Should they look at other options? And, I mean, my basic premise to the question was no because we don't know who Josh Hoover is. And so short-term – uh, they really don't have an option that's better. I think Chandler overall has been good this year. Saturday in the second half was not great. There were some different factors that led to that. But um, I, I guess what's your take on Chandler's status at the moment and just kind of how he's been playing, especially in that game against West Virginia Saturday? We we talked about this a couple weeks ago, right? Chandler is like – in his DNA, more of a gunslinger than Max Duggan, right? Um, and, and so that's just a different vibe to, to watch at quarterback, right? And quite frankly, that bailed TCU out a number of times on Saturday, his ability to make plays out of structure, escape the pocket, extend plays, or, uh, or to scramble and get yardage. Like, he saved – he saved some some plays that were kind of DOA against West Virginia. So that should be said. What comes with that attitude and that style of play is a little bit more risk-taking, right? And so there were and, – and the commentators were, were talking about it at length on Saturday if you were watching the broadcast on ESPN, ESPN2. Uh, there were quite a few um, uh, turnover-worthy passes from, from Chandler – on Saturday as well. And so you kind of, it's one of, in, in my opinion, it is, it is a little bit of, you take the good with the bad, right? Like that's who he is as a passer and you, you deal with it. Um, and you, you accept that that's, that's your lot in life. What is, and you just, to your point, you don't have the depth at the position to where you can, if Sam Jackson were still on the roster, this is a different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, I still don't think they'd make the change and Sam Jackson has been hurt. And, and when he was on the field has not played super well for Cal this year anyway, but would he look different in, in this offense? Maybe. Um, but with Josh Hoover out there as, you know, uh, as, as your next option. And then after that, it's a walk on and Grant Tisdale, I believe like you don't have the depth of that position to like be considering a, like be seriously considering a change mm-hmm. in this moment. And I agree with you. I don't think, that's the problem. I think the problem is 
he's be, Chandler's being asked to improvise and, and, and feels like he has to press and, and try and make these plays for two reasons. One, they, he's, he's not getting adequate pass protection from the offensive yeah. line, which is, you know, Brandon Coleman with missed last week. That was a factor. The other thing is just, he threw 41 passes and he also ran the ball 11 times. Not all of those were designed runs. I, I didn't clock exactly, but I would guess he had between 45 and 50 dropbacks that were like intended pass plays. That's too many to ask of him with this pass protection. It's malpractice to ask Chandler Morris to drop back that many times when the interior of this offensive line is in the state that it is in. So that to me is the more pressing concern, both the play of the personnel who are responsible for keeping him clean and the insistence on asking him to throw that much when you know he's a risk taker and when you know you can't keep him clean. I don't know what you expect to happen. Yeah. Well, Brandon Coleman's back this week, personally Dykes. He said That's, that he's going to play. Which is really important and good news, apparently. Yeah, yeah, it really is. Uh, and, you know, not to single these guys out, but Ben Taylor Whitfield's a, a freshman that they're super excited about. He played a lot of snaps. Colton Deary also played some snaps. And the way uh, the way Jeremy Clark phrased it for 247 before that ball game was Coleman would be available in case of emergency. I felt like there was an emergency happening on the field Saturday in the second half. But, listen, I mean, the way coaches frame things and kind of package things uh, – might be different than we perceive them. And so I, I don't know what his actual status was, but apparently he's going um, to play. To your point, like, I agree. You can't drop back 50 times. Now, part of the reason they were doing that is because anytime they tried to run in the interior of the offensive line, they were getting shoved back. So I don't have a great answer for this. Now, they the, the O-line has held up better against teams that are not as good defensively than West Virginia. Um, Iowa State's pretty salty on that side of the ball. But I think as much as winning over the next two weeks, Matt, they have to find a way for this to work against like, because when you play K-State in Texas and Oklahoma, I mean, it's pretty obvious you're not going to have the advantage up front. And so whether that's getting more creative in the run game, uh, they tried a lot of the quick game stuff against West Virginia. It had sort of mixed results, but I mean, how imperative is it that they find some some counters for uh, these problems? Because you know everybody has got the film now, and if you can if you can slow down Monty Bailey, this becomes a much tougher proposition for this offense. I mean, you've been saying this here for like a few weeks now. The identity of this team offensively is still, and Sonny Dyke said it on Tuesday this week. The identity of this offense is not defined. It's still not defined. We thought it had been defined coming out of the Houston and SMU games that they were going to lean on the run game the way that they did. Um, But both against SMU and against West Virginia, first half against SMU, not running the ball effectively, both because of play selection, to your point, like they were kind of getting stuffed some. Now they made made adjustments at halftime and they emphasized that they were like, we're going to be physical, we're going to control line scrimmage, we're going to lean on them. And they started breaking off some big runs in the second half. I was kind of expecting a similar approach here against West Virginia, and they did not. Um, they didn't really make a concerted effort to try and overcome their struggles running the ball against West Virginia. It really felt, if you watched any of West Virginia's game against Texas Tech, or at least you read the drive chart, it felt similar to that game in that 
it almost felt like they baited Texas Tech and then TCU into, we'll show you the looks that you want that you think you can throw against. And mm-hmm. then you're not going to have success doing it, right? And I think that happened against Colorado. I think it happened against, in the first half against SMU, it's happened against West Virginia. We've talked about this before. You can't get baited into, well, this is the box that we, this is the look that we like from the defense to throw the ball. So we're just going to do it when you don't, you haven't had a consistent rotation at receiver. They don't have the, the rapport and the chemistry with the quarterback yet. You can't pass protect well. Like it, at some point, you have to dictate the terms of the game. To, yeah. You have to be willing to try to do that. And so I'm in agreement with you. I think they need to make that emphasis on running the ball. And then that opens up stuff for what you want to do in the passing game. Now, how do you do it with the issues on the offensive line? Um, one, I think for now... I know it's part of the offense. I think for now you scrap your gap scheme stuff. Like anything where you're asking the guards and the tackle to pull, mm. shelf it for right now. Yeah. Because Taylor Whitfield, Willis Patrick, Colton Derry, when you're asking them to do it, or when you're asking them, quite frankly, to get out and block on screens, like you don't have the mobility and the and the quickness at that position group to make that work. Like West Virginia was knifing in behind those guys and blowing up stuff in the back of You can't do it, right? So mm. – run your simple zone stuff inside outside zone and trust it and do what you did in the second half against SMU lean on them and believe, Hey, if we keep if we're patient with it, we work at it for four quarters. And I can't believe I'm saying this because of how much we like felt like knocking our heads against a wall when Gary Patterson had this perspective late in his time. But when this is what you're equipped to do, do that, do what you are good at rather than asking these players who you know the roster is a work in progress don't ask them to do stuff that is going to put them in position where they're going to fail put them in position to succeed um that's my take i guess on the run game i'd also like to see more of we like we got cam cook for the first time on saturday yeah got, cam was good he looked got good Major Everhart in the backfield and he got a nice you know first down mm-hmm. run on a little toss play Run outside the tackles and get the speed of guys like that on the on the perimeter, and you know, kind of hide what you the weaknesses you have between the tackles, and but still run the ball. Mm-hmm. Do some more stuff with that because you had success with it. See what works. Yeah, I really liked, and I mean, it, this is sort of hypocritical. It's not the right word, but I've I've been critical of some of the creativity that they've used in short yardage situations. But I like some of the wrinkles in the run game. I like it on early downs. I mean, I like it on first and ten. I like it on second and eight, those kind of situations where there's still opportunities to uh, make something happen, even if it's not a big yardage gainer. But, okay, so this is a more broad question. Um, I could go either way on this. I think the raw numbers for the offense are still really good. And in some ways it seems silly to be complaining – this much about what happened because it was really one bad half of football. They scored 21 points against West Virginia and they scored 45, you know, 41, 36, I think against Houston, but all year long, it seemed like they've left some points on the board yesterday or, or Saturday. It really reared its ugly head in a big way. Is it possible that this could just be maybe the only one or one or two, you know, clunkers that you see through the year all right, you know, we were banged up off on the O-line. We faced a good defensive line. They made adjustments in the second half. We couldn't we couldn't find a way to get our, our bearings about us. Um, or is this a more systematic issue that you see moving forward? I know that's personnel question matchup to matchup, but 
I, I think there's some things they have to change fundamentally. I didn't get the sense that this was just a one-off, but what, what's your perspective on that, Matt? I lean toward it being a systemic issue because the stuff we saw in the second half against West Virginia was was just the the coming to fruition of stuff we had been noting over the previous four weeks. Like, hey, look, this is the thing to watch. Like, hey, look, they can't – they're not executing in – in scoring territory, hey, they're having trouble in short yardage or they're having trouble on third down because they're getting stuck in third and eight because they're not being efficient on early downs, right? All that stuff we had noted in previous games, but the competition level was such that it didn't matter. They were able to, you know, get the get the results that they needed against SMU and against Houston, against Nichols. Um, and Colorado's defense in week one was bad enough that – you're able to put up, you know, 42 points and it didn't matter um, despite your mistakes and despite your turnovers. Um, but yeah, these things are persistent. Like we're like after Saturday, you're halfway through the regular season, which is wild to think about. Like this is right. not like an isolated thing. Like this is, this is who you are. You know, you want to talk about having an identity. This is the identity that TCU's offense has at the moment, which is like they can, they can get a lot of yards and they can go fast. But if you get them in an, if, if you can stop them on first and 10, suddenly like you feel really good about the, if you're a defense, you feel really good about the state of the drive. Right. I mean, just, just humor me for a second. Um, couple, like looking through like the starts of the drives for TCU on Saturday against West Virginia. Um, first and 10, the TCU 30, Amani rush to uh, rush middle two yard game. Then their next, and then the next play, Chandler Morris pass complete. Um, next drive, Amani Bailey short rush uh, right for no yards. Then Chandler scrambled for 11 yards. Then their next drive, uh, um, they went incomplete on first. They threw on first down. That's a, that's something new and different. But it was this repeated thing of like, okay, we're gonna nominally rush, you know, with Amani Bailey, but not really be committed to it on first down. Get yourself to second and eight, yeah. and then. And then, okay, now we feel like we have to pass. You know, there's there's the play selection and play sequencing is not where I would want it to be. Um, and let me just um, – let me derail us for just a second here because I know – like people know how I feel about the Kendall Bryles hire. If they were putting up these results with like Seth Luttrell as the offensive coordinator and the results were exactly the same, people would be upset. But it would feel different. Everyone would kind of be like, "Ah, oh, well, you know, rosters and rosters in transition. It's a it's a reset year after you know dream run a year ago." The fact that you kind of spent all of your emotional capital and all of your goodwill after a national title run on a hire that was controversial for off the field reasons, and it's not really even working out on the field. It's 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 a bad look for TCU right now, quite frankly. Yeah, I mean, it, I'll say this: I, I think it's early to say that it's it's not working. It's the the results you're getting not what you want. I, I feel like from your offense coordinator fully. I think Sonny Dykes would agree with that too. And he said as much today. He said he doesn't feel like the offense has an identity. But you're right about this. Like the the Kendall Bryles discourse is uh, it's tough because there are 
and, and listen, I, I wasn't a fan of the hire either, but he's on the staff now, and so we're going to talk about him like we would any other coach. Um, there, you know, there are people that weren't a fan of the hire, and so not that they want him to fail, but like they're going to be critical of his missteps to a degree that they probably wouldn't be of another offense coordinator. And then there's people that think there's people that weirdly think this is like TCU somehow standing up against cancel culture or TCU like putting their foot in the stand on a social issue or a political issue. That's not what happened here. Like Sonny Dykes, he looked at the landscape and he thought, this is the guy that I think is the best to get the job. And he decided he was going to live with the PR that came with it. Like that was his decision. That was the decision he made. That was the decision that the athletic department made, the university made. I don't know how high up this went, but like whoever had it on their desk, that's what they decided to do. Okay. And so uh, now they are they are dealing with that. They are dealing with part of the fan base that is upset. They have justified reasons for being upset. And, um, yeah, they're going to criticize the offensive coordinator harshly. They're going to criticize the play calling harshly. You put a microscope on that staff position by hiring who you did. Um, and so there, there are uh, – people have ideas about how that was going to go from the jump. And now whatever happens informs their opinion about it. And that's like, that's separate from the issue at hand, but that, that is what's going on. And so, yep. Sonny, I mean, Sonny made his choice and now he has to answer the questions that come with it from, from the people that don't, don't agree with it and think that it's not going well. Right. Like, yeah, if it was, Seth Luttrell or named coordinator X, uh, we would still be critical of these decisions, but I think the, the um, tone around the discussion would be different at this point. So we'll see. They, they got six games to figure it out now. Yeah. And, and, and you're, this is what you signed to your point. This is what you signed up for, right? You signed up for the PR fallout banking on, the on-field results are going to, in TCU's calculations, be worth the PR fallout. Yeah, uh, that's that's what that. Or was that you're just willing to deal with it, right? Because that was your, because of that what's was, gonna, yeah, that was, was your calculus. That was what you decided. You also signed up for this offense, which is well documented in terms of like, like what it is and what its identity is and what it's good at and what it's not and how people defend it. I'm not advocating for or against it. I think there are teams that have done it and done it extraordinarily effectively, right? Again, Tennessee last year as a great example. I'm, I've, I'm, I'm, I'm agnostic about the scheme itself. Um, but you, this is what you signed up for, and you, you, you are getting the results that you signed up for both on the field and off the field. And if, again, if, if there's, if a couple plays, if you hit two field goals against West Virginia and you don't, you have, you know, one, one or two red zone turnovers against Colorado that go differently and you're five and oh, you'll very, very different. Right. But this is the state that you're in. And so this is the conversation that you're having. Sure. And I mean, also like you, you turned over your, most of your offensive roster. So that, I mean, yeah. that's, that's part of the thing here. Um, well, so you're dealing with growing pains at the, at the same time as installing a new system. 
with the person you hired. And and that's and and that needs to be said. And and that's that's a that's a point that needs to be said and said often. Like that, it's gonna be un, It's gonna be. It was always gonna be an unfair comparison of whoever took the job after last year with Garrett Riley, who was a Broyles Award winner, and with you know six draft picks on offense. Like it was gonna be a step back, and they were going to be not as consistent. Right, and you probably weren't going to be able to rely on them in clutch in, in clutch situations the way you were able to with all the veterans and all the experience on that side of the ball a year ago, a hundred percent. Um, it's just you know, you could have done that without also inviting the firestorm, um, but that's what that's what you that's what you chose to do, you know, and and it's where you stand now. If you think that. You know, you're going to get it fixed. If you think that it's going to pay dividends in recruiting and you feel like, you know, you're long-term, you believe in division, great. I have yet to see the things that make me like super bullish on where they're, where they're headed. Mm-hmm. I would love to be proven wrong. I really would because I don't like to watch bad offensive football. I don't think anybody does. So. Yeah. And I mean, in fairness, like the results were good against SMU and Houston. There was definitely – things that were uh, left on the field and you wanted, you know, you wanted more, but they scored plenty of points to win those football games. And uh, that didn't happen in the second half against West Virginia. We'll take a quick break. And then we come back. We'll talk about the defense a little bit too, because they are also are part of this football team. Uh, and they played pretty well on Saturday night. So we'll discuss that next year on Locked On. All right. Uh, I do want to talk about our friends at bird dogs though. I've talked about bird dogs before they make uh, shorts and pants to make you look good. They have khaki shorts that stretch and they fit really well. Um, and they're very versatile. I mean, you can wear them around the house. You can wear them at a more formal event. Uh, bird dogs have just done a great job with um, the fabric that they have. They're very functional uh, and they look great. And so go to birddogs.com slash locked on college today and enter the promo code um, locked on and you can get a free water bottle with your uh, with your first purchase. I'll put that up here right now. Birddogs.com slash locked on college. You get a free water bottle with your first purchase. Bird Dogs, they are a proud sponsor here of the Locked On Network. Yeah, so TCU's defense, I mean, they were kind of up against it in the second half. They only ended up allowing 10 points, had a nice goal line stand. You know, there were still a few drives that you were like, man, really wish they could have gotten stopped there or at least held West Virginia to a field goal. But overall, if you told me they held West Virginia 24 points before the game, I would have been pretty happy with that. Um, Matt, what was your perception of how the defense played on Saturday? On the whole, yeah, I think you're you're pretty happy with it. I think 24 was, you know, 24 points is on the high end of what I thought they were going to allow to a West Virginia team that seemed pretty one-dimensional coming into that game. But credit to Neil Brown and, and his staff for scheming up ways for – uh, for them to kind of find success. They took advantage of some short fields. They got the ball. They started drives inside t- in, 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 on TCU side of the 50 three times, and they got 17 points out of those three drives. They were really, you know, effective with the opportunities they got. And shout out Garrett Green. I mean, he just – he balled out. I, I was not – like, I was not expecting that from him. You know, he's he's not – he's limited as a passer, but he, he made the plays that he needed to in the passing game, and he was dangerous with his legs and, and – TCU didn't really do a good job of accounting for that. But um, with all that being said, um, I thought with the poor field position that TCU's defense was 
put in a lot because of the struggles of the offense. And they, um, I thought they played well grading on that scale and they had the big goal line stop on fourth and goal. Um, you know, on the whole, I felt like they, they did really well. Again, the stuff that we were really concerned about early on, I think on the whole has dissipated. I think I like what they're doing in coverage a little bit more than what we saw, like, especially early on against like Colorado, that they're, they're not, um, playing super conservative. They're being a little bit more aggressive. They're playing, you know, up, up closer and tighter with these receivers. Most of the time, um, they're blitzing more. They're trying to generate pressure. Again, I, I really wish they could generate pressure with just four guys. They can't, mm -hmm. they can't really consistently do that, but they're, they're creating sack opportunities, which is great. Um, I think my big thing, and they're, and they're really solid against the run on the whole. I think the, the my big thing is just, okay, if you're going to try and manufacture pressure, you got to get home. Either you yeah. got to affect the quarterback and, and cause a, an errant pass, incompletion, um, a turnover worthy throw, or you got to bring them down. That was the thing that I think was I think, probably the most frustrating for TCU is they got pressure on Garrett Green in, in certain instances, but they couldn't finish the play. They couldn't mm -hmm. bring him down in the pocket. And, he, you know, his touchdown run on the first drive came on an instance where he, you know, he eludes Jamoy Hodge and then he scrambles and there's just, you know, there's nobody spying and there's nobody playing contain. And so then he's just, you know, he just escapes and, and yeah. runs for the score. Right. And so I think that's the thing to me is um, you gotta be, you gotta be able to get home with those. Um, and so that's, that's, that's probably my biggest note. Also just like, I'd like to see a little bit more rotation at the safety position. Cause we've had this conversation. We kind of know what your starting group is mm -hmm. good at and what they're not. Mark Perry, I think, got put in some tough situations trying to cover slot guys and tight ends on Saturday, and it led to some big conversions. We've liked what we've seen early on from like guys like Jamel Johnson and stuff. Maybe get a chance to give those guys some more snaps down down the stretch. Um, but Shad Banks looks good. Nambi Obiazor looks good. Dominic Williams, outside of the two penalties, was it continues to be very effective. Um, yeah. Josh Newton playing really well and the other corners that they're that they're rolling out there like there there's a lot to like honestly um i want to see how they do once they face better offenses bet, well a better better quarterback place more explosive offenses yeah yeah because you know they had they faced shadur in in week one and i don't know the state of will howard's health but like it like are they not going to face a really and I don't. I haven't watched BYU super closely, so it's like the best quarterback they're going to face. Not going to be until they face Quinn Ewers in more than a month. Maybe Slovis is pretty good. I'd like to see. Right. I'm curious. I'm curious to see how Joe handles him. Um, just like how much he kind of sits back and lets him play. But yeah, the delayed blitzes are. Uh, the, I don't think they've ever worked. Like I know. I know delayed blitzes can work. I just don't feel like they've worked in the last two years. For the CCU defense, um, your thought about the safety rotation though actually ties into a, really well to a question that I got yesterday, and so I'll tackle this first and I'll throw it to you. Um, a loyal subscriber says, uh, "Hey, I heard the 2023 recruiting class was the best recruiting class TCU had in a while. I haven't seen a lot of that recruiting class making an impact. Seems like they haven't been able to create pressure. Where's Jonathan Bax? I remember you talked a lot about him. Wasn't he a top tier pass rusher?" At some point, will something change on the defense? Um, and so, yes, we haven't seen the 2023 guys as much as we thought, maybe going into the season. Uh, I will, I'll address the defensive side of the ball. You know, offensively, Cordell Russell hasn't been on the field as much as I thought he would be uh, before the year. 
Um, defensively, Marcus Deals played some on the D-line, but he's kind of been a rotational guy. Uh, Matt talks about Jamel Johnson. Radon Fontenet's also a guy that's made a few appearances. Uh, and I would love to see backs. I think maybe they would consider that more on the defensive side of the ball if the team continued to play poorly post-Colorado, but they've done well lately. So I don't – I just imagine they don't have a huge um, – itch to, to change things up as far as the class as a whole though I would just say even though we still even though we're seeing more freshmen play across the country like moving up to college ball is still a big change and you're probably getting limited snap counts from those guys and if they can't make something happen in those limited snaps then you're not going to notice them slash they're probably not going to get more opportunities but Matt do you have any thoughts on uh, the younger guys not playing as much as maybe we thought before the season I, I think Deal is the main one that I would like to see an increased snap count because he, he and Jamel Johnson, because Jamel Johnson limited limited plays, but against SMU when he got in there, made some nice plays. Um, liked what I saw from him. Would like to see more of that. Um, Deal, to your, to your, like, as we talked about, just like with kind of the lack of a pass rush, like the pass rush in terms of from the defensive line is common is kind of from Dominic Williams in the interior. And like, that's kind of it. Um, but Dominic Williams, it's big dude. Can't pay, can't play 85 snaps or however many it is on a regular basis. So they're rotating in Sony Nisi a lot. Um, I would like to see some of those snaps go to Marcus deal. Um, or I'd like to, see, or he, he can also flex out and play defensive ends. Um, maybe you, you know, sub him in, for Caleb Fox at times or whatever, um, because, you know, he is, I think, the guy who was most ready to play right now out of this class. And they put him on the field a little bit. I'd like to see it a little bit more um, to help you in, in, in that specific area with the pass rush, um, that in, which is the area that I think you have the most room to grow. Um, but, yeah, to your point, like, I think they like what they've seen from – their starters and their veteran players since the Colorado game, you know, with, you know, uh, at linebacker and at corner and at safety, they're seeing results that they like that if, if things had continued to go as poorly since Colorado, then yes, I think you see a lot more changes, but they, they haven't. I think the main one honestly is just has been a result of injury. Johnny Hodges not being available has put Chad Banks on the field and Chad Banks has played well. And mm -hmm. so with him and Hodge, you know, be you you feel pretty good about the about the starting linebacker group. I'm I'm not I'm not in love with how I I think if there's anywhere also like maybe you put, give Jamoy Hodge a little bit of a breather sometimes and you and you get out a guy like Jonathan Bax a little bit just because of Hodge's limitations in coverage. But yeah. um but yeah I think I think Deal and Johnson are the guys who have the opportunity to kind of make an impact based on just like positional needs uh when we come back i'll ask matt if he has reset his expectations for this team at all over the last few weeks we'll do that next on lockdown hard frogs when you talk about fan duel though first fan duel uh nfl season in full swing got games kicking off on thursday night you need to go to fanduel.com slash locked on get on on this situation while you still can put five dollars down put a five dollar bet down get to two hundred dollars in bonus bets guaranteed again that's two hundred dollars in bonus bets when you put five dollars down win or lose the app is easy to use 
Um, they do have an app as well where you can bet on spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and help get the NFL season going by betting those games. You can also bet on baseball playoffs. Rangers, they won today against the Rays. I was surprised by that. I was very happy. Jordan Montgomery, what an effort by him. Seven innings of shutout baseball. The bullpen didn't completely implode. So if you want to bet on baseball or football, do that at FanDuel. And again, FanDuel.com slash LockedOn is where you can get that special offer. FanDuel, proud sponsor of the Lockdown Network. All right, uh, before we go here, Matt, I, I said this yesterday. I was like, I think these next two games will kind of decide how this season goes for the Frogs. They need to win against Iowa State and BYU. But I won't put any limitations on it. What are your ex- Where are your expectations at now for this team? You know, what do you think they can do moving forward? I still – you know, I think in terms of what I can, what what I think they can do and what I expect them to do, probably two different things. Um, what I think they can do, I still think that they are capable. Let's leave aside Kansas State, Texas, Oklahoma, the three teams that are like the clear Big 12 title contenders that you still have left on the schedule. Um, then you've got Iowa but outside of those, you got Iowa State this week, BYU, Texas Tech, Baylor. I think those are all – winnable games i think those are games that tcu still probably be favored in i they are favored against iowa state if you can take care of your business show more of what you were against houston against smu and let i mean in the first half against west virginia quite frankly um then i think you can and should win all four of those games and then you try and steal one of the other three and then you're sitting there at eight wins in the regular season which I, which is exactly where I think all of us were kind of like, yeah, you sit here at eight wins in a regular season. I think you feel good about that with all the pieces that you're replacing. Mm-hmm. But yet you've lost your room for error, right? Yeah. You know, if you, you could drop one of those sort of winnable games and still feel good. You drop another one of them, you know, I thought Baylor was kind of done, but they showed a lot of toughness and a lot of uh, resilience and came coming back against UCF, Texas Tech, beating Houston last week. Um, I, I think that result might be a little bit fraudulent, but the, the fact is they're still like, they're, they're well, it's easy to beat Houston too. So let's not, let's, let's right. give the Cougs their flowers. They're but a great they're, football they're team. Kind of, they're they're kind of, you know, maybe they're right in the ship kind of a thing. BYU, I, I didn't think was very good. I thought their some of their early wins were not super impressive, but then the last couple of weeks they've, you know, starting to look better, especially on offense. Those games, it, it's, it doesn't feel as much as gimmies anymore is my point. Yeah. And um, yeah, I think that if the things that, you know, we talked about it, the, the, the identity of this team becoming these inconsistencies, becoming the struggles in the red zone, becoming the struggles on early downs. Um, if that's who you are, then I, then I think like your goal is here to get to a bowl game, you know, like, just quite frankly. Um I, I, just, I just, I'm just being honest. Boo. Now, I we've seen we've seen flashes. We saw flashes against Houston. Saw flashes against SMU. Um, that they could be something more, right? Um, I think getting getting healthy on the offensive line is a big part of that. I think just leaning into what you do well on offense, rather than being rope-a-doped into into playing a style of ball that you're not well equipped to play. That's going to be the key thing. Um, if they can find a way to be effective in the run game with 
even with their limitations on the offensive line, and they don't abandon it. They 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 lean into it, and then they use that to accentuate their passing game rather than like let's let's drop back fifty times a game. Mm-hmm. I, I think their results are going to be better for you. Um, three games in a row, they looked like they had their they had their identity kind of more figured out. But the two losses, they allowed themselves to be baited for at least the word I keep coming back to. They get allowed themselves to kind of be baited into playing a style of ball that they were not they're not equipped to play. Yeah. And if they're gonna if they're gonna let other teams do that to them down the stretch, don't feel confident. But if they can dictate to other teams the way they want to play, I still think this is a team that can, you know, that yeah, can win eight, nine games and and get to the end of the season and feel very differently than you feel right now, which is not awesome. I would be cool with eight and four. I mean, if if that happens, I feel like you're beating Iowa State, uh, BYU, Tech, and Baylor, and then you're stealing one of the, the K State, Oklahoma, Texas games, and then yeah, you feel pretty good. Uh, I I booed you because I don't want it to happen. I do see like yeah, six and six, seven and five is possible. If it's six and six, then barring like a, a pretty significant injury. I would come away from the season with a lot of questions about the coaching staff um, just because I feel like this team can do more than that. But listen, I think I thought last year and I I get why I could be naive about this. I thought last year what they did, the way they achieved meant that they would be immune to a, a total, you know, kind of fall off the fall off the mark developmental year. And maybe that's just where they are. But they've lost two games by six points, so I'm not ready to say that yet. And 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 one more thing to your point about like last year versus this year. Last year, I think, and I and I, I was saying this to someone on, on Twitter today, and I'm still going to keep calling it Twitter. The, I think Sonny Dykes, in the age of the portal, deserves a ton of credit for keeping that roster together in the transition from Gary Patterson to last season, right? Most teams are not able to do that. They lost, they lost a couple guys to the portal, but if you want to talk about like legitimate contributors who like were making a difference this year prior, it was like Zach Evans and that was it. And then they added some supplemental pieces and they kept the, the, the ship together. Right. And they benefited from that in a major way. They were very experienced. They had a bunch of snaps together. They were, um, they, they had chemistry, they had belief, all the intangibles, in addition to having some, some, a lot of NFL players, which is great. Now we have to see after losing most of, you know, a lot of that core, what does Sonny, what does a Sonny Dykes constructed roster at TCU look like? We're not going to have that answer this year, which is fine. They supplemented again with the portal. They brought in a really nice recruiting class. Awesome. What does this team's identity and what does the roster construction and makeup look like once it has like his full stamp on it, which probably we don't have a clearer answer on until the beginning of next season. Um, but that's something to keep an eye on. If, if that construction is going well, then this is a blip and you bounce back starting next year and start building something and you feel really good starting probably in the late 23 and into 24. But if you're not going to be able to construct well, and you really were like, just, you got really fortunate with the core you were able to retain 
which takes skill, not denying that, but then you got to do it yourself. So we're going to see how that goes. Well, regardless, we'll be here, or at least I'll be here. I'm not going to, you know, say Matt has to be here. I will be here with you through it all, man. Okay. Well, we had fun today. I feel like we might end up on, uh, on some sort of message board or something with some of the topics today. So that'll be good to, to wade through tomorrow. Anyway, we'll talk about it later. Uh, it's Locked on Horn Frogs. It's your team every day.